Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. We're going to be visiting with Harry Zolnerchuk this week. And uh, you'll want to obviously listen here. Well, you're probably here for that conversation. But we would be remiss, Charlie, if we didn't touch on yesterday's to- doings in the NHL. It was trade deadline day. And uh, I don't know, I suppose it was probably as quiet as we thought, quieter than we thought. What would you say? Yeah, I, I mean, you know that. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we would have said the, the Predators are sellers, right? And they're getting, they're yeah. going to move big, big pieces and maybe even move former or Admirals alum Matthias Eckholm, which was sort of, he was like, besides Taylor Hall and maybe more so than Taylor Hall. Yeah, I think Eckholm was the big fish. The big fish and the Preds start playing well or what, 11 and 11, uh, 11 and 2 in their last 13. So uh, he's off the board and the Predators look to be on their way to the playoffs, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we'll see what happens obviously with, with that. Uh, but a relatively quiet day uh, for, as, as far as this goes, um, as far as trades trade deadline day goes, but uh, Nashville, the Admiral's parent club did make one move acquiring Eric Goodbranson, who is the fifth player from the 2010 draft first round of the 2010 draft to now, presumably appear in a game for the Nashville Predators and the sixth in the organization overall, although Mark Visentine was on, was not on an NHL deal. He right. was Milwaukee. He was on a, a two way AHL ECHL deal when he was with the team uh, four years ago. So uh, he, and he only played one game and the game he played Harry, Harry Zolnerchuk is will, when we talk with him, we'll reference it. Um, it's the game where actually maybe he didn't, but it's the game where everybody got sick in Nashville and uh, Visentine, the only game he played for the Admirals was at Rockford the night that seven guys were recalled to Nashville to to play in Detroit uh, against the Red Wings. Yeah, that's a that he, he we had, that was a crazy game, right? A crazy day just in the organization. That like yeah. you never see something like that where you all of a sudden have fourteen guys, and you know Harry talked about uh, he talks about you think it's special getting called up and then it's like, Oh yeah. It's almost like being on the bachelor, right? Like (laughs) we're going to call you up and seven other guys. It's, it's interesting. So good. Branson was the third overall selection. Ryan Johansson was the fourth. Mikhail Granlund was the ninth. Austin Watson, 18th, Jared Tenorti, 22nd and Visentine the 27th all from that draft. Um, But you can go down the list and it's, it's really that's 11 years ago, 2010 draft. Um, there aren't many guys. I'm looking quickly, Jaden Schwartz and Vladimir Tarasenko, and they might be the only ones that are still with the teams that drafted them. Yeah. Right. And, and the, and the top of that draft list was a uh, guy we've heard a lot about Taylor Hall, who happens to factor in, I guess, a shirt tail relation to the admirals in that Taylor Hall was sent from Buffalo to Boston in exchange for Anders Bjork, who's from Milwaukee uh, and is the brother-in-law of former Admiral Mark Van Gilder. Yeah. So uh, Taylor Hall plays a little bit into that. But really, that's the only, as far as Nashville slash Milwaukee are concerned, those are really the only moves that were made that um, that involved yeah. that. that. I mean, there, there were some other interesting moves. The Anthony Mantha move from Detroit to Washington was interesting, but... Um, yeah. And obviously, we you know they had, we recognize Anthony Mantha for um, you know him playing against us for two or three years. Parts in Grand Rapids, yeah. Probably didn't I felt I always felt like Anthony Mantha scored 
20 goals a year just against the Admirals. He probably didn't. Is he the one who shot the puck through the net? Yeah, and, I think uh, he was. Yeah, one I of the shots. Sure. One of the one shots. Of the one of the two, yeah. One of the two that went through the net that nobody had a, you know, they got it right, I guess. But uh, right, I'll, we better it's, stop it's talking now before we get really confusing. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, that's uh, that's your trade deadline recap. Yeah. I guess there really like, there's much else to to get into. No, I mean uh, we I think uh, we've had trade deadlines in the past where it's been more activity and you know where there's and it's weird for us too this year. I mean, I, I this total change yeah. of uh, perspective here, but we're not usually trade deadline. The team's practicing sometimes even playing a game and guys come off the ice and they want to know what's going on. What did, who got dealt, who got traded. And this year it's like, well, that we don't have that in Milwaukee. Right. Uh, obviously that's taking place, excuse me, in other areas, other cities, just not for us. We should mention uh, all the players that have been recalled. Tommy Novak, obviously uh, on the tra- taxi squad because of all the injuries and such Josh Healy, who was on an AHL deal last yep. season with Milwaukee. And this year with Nashville, he was on an AHL deal and, playing in Chicago, but he signed an NHL deal with Nashville, uh, which is great. So uh, those are, I, I guess, really hit all the moves. Nashville signing their college kids and things like that. And yeah. um, we anticipate a lot of those names that are being signed by Nashville to be in Milwaukee next season. Right, right. And and good and great for, as you mentioned, great for Josh, who uh, Carl Taylor, we talk to every week. He has had very good things to say about Healy and his play this season. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, indeed. Good for Josh. Uh, should we get to our guest? Yeah, let's get to him. All right, let's move. Let's get to our guest. As we continue this Milwaukee Admirals podcast, we're joined now by a guy. Let me read a quote here, Charlie. Uh, this is from a few years ago, but it's from uh, Peter Laviolette, longtime coach in the NHL, of course, former Nashville Predators coach. This is a guy that every day wakes up and is a positive person. He's a positive influence. He's a positive person himself, but has a positive impact on others as well. And I thought that is a fitting way and a perfect way to introduce our guest today on the podcast, Harry Zolnerchuk. Z, it's great to see you. It's great to talk to you. How's everything going? Everything's great. Thanks, Emra. I appreciate it. That's, that's, a, that's a quote, Lavi quote. Yeah, well, you, you, you've got the relationship with him. I mean, what, I mean, he, he, you played for him when you first made it to the NHL and then you play in the playoffs, obviously for him. Yeah. I, you know, obviously in my, you know, career of, of the, the nine years, Lavi and I obviously go way back and, uh, you know, in, 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 you know, some way I'm, I'm basically, you know, in debt to him for the success that, that I had, he was, you know, I, I definitely, I got a chance in all the organizations I played at, but I, I'd have to say he was the one coach that saw more than, than what, you know, the opportunity that I had in other places. And and he definitely gave me the, my first chance to play in the NHL and in Philly and, and gave me a great, you know, opportunity my rookie year uh, and then Nashville and, you know, bringing me in Nashville and, and knowing, you know, what I was able to offer and bring to the team. And, um, yeah. And then obviously the Nashville season coming, starting with you guys and then up in Nashville for that year was, uh, you know, that's probably the, the one I'd, I'd hang my hat on. So I'm, you know, very fortunate for, for Labby to kind of be my guy. Is he the reason you signed with Nashville? Does he call and recruit you? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was their staff. Yeah, you know, the staff, it was funny because I had the conversation with Lavi, Cato, um, 
I don't think Poyle was on that call. Maybe Fence. I think it was Fence. Paul, um, Lavi, Cato, Fence. And, and they called the day after my wedding. So wedding was June 25th. We spoke <laughs> June was it June 26th or something right around there. And, and uh, yeah, and it was, it was, you know, that's the one thing I'll, I'll have to say with Lavi and, and our relationship. He's always been honest to me. I mean, he, you know, right from the bat, you know, you don't have a spot on the team, on the NHL team with Nashville, but we have guys that are going to be moving from Milwaukee to Nashville and we don't have anybody really in, in place to fill some of those roles. Definitely not a, a bottom line guy. The one, you know, Cody Bass was one, uh, Salamaki was the other at that time. I think both of those guys had proven themselves, earned their, earned their right to, to make that team out of camp. Um, and, and so he, you know, it was just an honest conversation of, we, you know, you'd be kind of in the, in line to, to step up if need be. And, and that was kind of what we, we went with and we took it. And obviously there was some injuries and things like that, that you need some, some luck in that regard. Um, and yeah, it was able to, to kind of come to fruition there. If you, excuse me, I, and I don't do a lot of show prep, I'll be honest uh, yeah. for this podcast. Yeah. But if you made a Venn diagram of the number of pl- people who have, scored a goal in the NHL Stanley cup playoffs and played in the little league world series. I think it's two it's Chris Drury and Harry Zollner Chuck. Yeah. I, you told me, you told me you played in the little league world series and I didn't believe you because Hold I on. there's, there's a few others, Charlie, because I found this, I, this is the show prep part here. There yeah. was a, there was a, a an article on somebody t- tweeted the, the, the four players who did that Ray Ferrero, uh, Stefan Mateau and Pierre Turgeon were teammates and Chris Drury. Yep. And, and, and then Harry was mentioned in there as well. Harry, oh. Harry, I should say Harry threw his name in the hat, I think, on that. I, uh, say, hey, I actually know Ray Ferrero did that as well. I didn't know yeah. that he was one. I know Chris Drury, and his is more impressive than anybody because he won both. Right. Oh, sorry. sorry, hold on. He won the, the – no, I, I got to go back. The Quebec Pee Wee Tournament – and the Little League World Series. He played in both, which wow. that was something. That's the same year, probably. It is. So when I was 12, that was a that was a pretty cool thing. Wow, you played in the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament. We didn't win it. We won the consolation side. We lost our first game and got booted, but then played in the Little League World Series, didn't win it. Chris Jury played in both and won both, the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament and the Little League World Series. So he wow. is, you know, I'll just be – you know, grateful to have the name thrown in the same hat as him. He takes that. He's by far and away, you know, taking the cake on that one. That's impressive to win. I'll both. never, I'll never forget the day we realized this. And I was sitting in Dean's office and Dean Evison's office, yeah. and this came up. And Dean flipped his lid. Yeah, like he me was too. Just freaking out. Yeah. And, and sure enough, you came in and you told him everything he wanted yeah. to know. It was, it was really amazing, but Dean was Dean, so flabbergasted by the whole situation. I, I was so flabbergasted. And Dean says to me, go, go get him and bring him in here because yeah. I still didn't know for sure, because you know, you, you'd like to joke around and everything like that. And I didn't know for sure if you were being serious. And I said, I think, I think he's being serious. And so you called us in and you gave us the whole scoop and you, then you sent me, yeah. that was awesome. Tell us about let's so tell us about how you played in the Little League World Series. Yeah, that's a you know that I I will say to this day it's still one of my yeah I guess say most proudest sports moments. I mean back obviously you know Stanley Cup now and and the NHL career, but before hockey you know took off for me, even getting to college, 
you know, that's the one, you know, that's the one thing when people say, you know, some, you can tell you something about yourself, tell us something about yourself and it will be, you know, playing the Lily world series. And I wish, uh, I wish there was as much, you know, coverage as there is now back right. then. But even at that time, I think what we were guaranteed, we were guaranteed one game on TSN, um, you know, now ESPN T- or TSN is obviously the Toronto side, but ESPN, they cover the whole thing, which it's unbelievable. It was, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, I, and I wasn't a base. Long story short, I wasn't a baseball guy. Uh, my dad wanted me to play baseball. My mom had me in soccer. I couldn't play hockey during the the winter. I had to be outside. It had to be an outside sport. So I definitely wasn't able to play hockey all year round. I kind of played soccer until really I didn't have any any friends left to, to play or, or join in on on any of the teams there. And then we switched over to baseball. And I was I was a good fielder. I was a terrible uh, batter. I couldn't I couldn't. I could bunt. That was my, I ended up just becoming a, a leadoff bunt guy and, and I'd be stealing first to second as I'd be walking up, you know, guys would just be watching me trot up on the, on the walk or a bunt, you know, if it was a walk, I'd walk up and then steal from first to second, right in the same play. But, um, and I was the same in the, in the Lily world series. I, I made that team as a, a right fielder started. I'd give my at bat up in the fourth inning, right. Cause all 12 kids have to field an inning or, or get an at bat. So I was obviously giving my at bat up just because of how poor I was. So I, yeah, it was uh, you know, it was a pretty crazy story. I started off lead off for that team. First exhibition game, funny story, hit a home run first at bat. So this looked great. Everything was going well. I, it was just an exhibition game. Things got going. I don't know how quickly it happened, but I was back to like the ninth hitter and then, you know, giving my bat up and, you know, it quickly, my true colors showed themselves pretty quickly. And uh, <laughs> that, that was it. But uh, no, that was an incredible run. That, that tournament is so impressive just on its own, the little league world series, the way you're treated, you're 12 people are looking for your autograph. You don't even, I don't even know if I could spell my last name by 12, <laughs> You know, your, your parents can't even come and see you. They got badges and identity checks. And it, it's a pretty, you know, it's a pretty showtime event for, for 12. What is it like when you are there? Do they, do they give you like a tour? Do they take you to historical sites or are, are you kind of, is it like being a pro athlete and you're kind of left to your family, your family being your own devices and you go, go eat what you want and go wherever you want. Yeah, you're you're in a little compound. Now, when I was there, it was the last year. 2000, 2000 was the year. Last year, it was eight teams, so four American, four international teams. And after that year, they went up to eight and eight. Uh, but you're really in the compound. It's it's almost like a college dorm type style where each team has their own, you know, living situation that has bunk beds and you know big showers, and you're there. And then you have a cafeteria, and you have a um, you know, a video game room and ping it's like pong. an Olympic village. It's, it's, it's like a mini Olympic village and there's a fence, you know, a big wooden fence that's, you know, security guards gated. Your family can't even come in. Uh, <laughs> you could only go to the fence. I, I can't even imagine how more, you know, how, how much they've upped security since then. Uh, but people would be lined up with a baseball card, you know, looking for an autograph. <laughs> and they, you, you know, you really blew your mind. I, I mean, I would pay a thousand dollars, literally a thousand dollars. If someone has a Harry Z autographed yeah. baseball card from the 2000 Little League World Series. I'd pay $1,000 for that. You know, let's be, I don't think anybody was looking for a, a Zollner truck autograph on, at least not on a baseball card. I, I can't imagine, I don't know if one, you know, was surfacing around. Pins were the big thing, Charlie, right? We, right you're trading pins. So that was huge. You, you get this book of pins 
And then you get down to the little league world series and, and trading with, you know, other teams and they got the big trading tent set up. That was always, that was uh, the big thing there, but you know, there was some big, you know, some guys that not that they even made it anywhere after that, but uh, you know, they were kind of studs at that time. And, and, you know, there were fans that wanted their autograph on cards. It was, it's pretty crazy for 12. Do you, do you remember anybody from that little league world series that went on other than yourself that went on to a pro career, I guess, specifically in baseball? No, I don't. Kevin Costner threw the opening pitch in our, in the, uh, that's all. That's the one big name I remember, but uh, <laughs> in terms of athletes, no, the, the team Venezuela that won that year was a remarkable story. They showed up. I, I think the story was something like they had one bat and and one guy showed up without, without cleats. I think he had, we played in, you know, I think that was the story that went there and then you get there and they deck you out with the gear and the hats and bats and, and, you know, they, you got the, you know, wrist guard sleeves and things like that. It was, it's pretty cool. Very you big know, it, yeah. It's funny you say that because uh, a guy I not, I won't call him a friend, just a guy I know who had worked a little bit for like the brewers and scouting and said like his boss had give him a tape from some kid in central America. Who's playing, who's batting with a broom in an alleyway and is being, is telling him to evaluate this guy. Like, like we're supposed to sign this guy. And so that's interesting that you say this team from Venezuela comes up and they, uh, you know, they, they don't have much. Yeah. They, they won it. They had a remarkable, I think it was the international final against Japan. Japan was a heavy favorite and they, they played a, a little sneaky cheesy game of button the ball and just, you know, kind of just getting through and, and uh, they upset Japan and then went on to win it. So it was a pretty, pretty crazy story. We lost to them in the semis of it as well in the, in the bottom of the sixth. So every team kind of made it there, right? Yeah. Everybody had a chance at, at that point, even when it spilled over. So um, yeah, no, it very professional, uh, very well-organized run. Uh, in terms of historic places, similar, they really, you know, the, the, probably the, the airport is the most historic place you come in and they have, it's just decked out. It's tiny, but it, you know, I remember coming in and you're flying in over all the, the trees and the forest and, and you're getting in and, and then it's all decked out with little league memorabilia and, and things like that. And then uh, yeah, they, they bust you in and they're, they're taking you from the, you know, your little compound down to under the stadium. It's, you know, you see that stadium for the first time at 12 and you're like, wow, this is freaking out. It's like Fenway park, right? Yeah. Like, that, that, the picture up there of looking down over the, over the field is still, you know, that's one of the probably one of the most iconic photos for a kid at 12 of playing baseball. Just doing I mean, a, a cursory thing, by the way. Uh, I think Alex Gordon of the Royals played in the little in that little in league that little league world series, world series? Yeah. wow that's um in 2000 so mine was 2000 so yeah this, it may be a different alex gordon now that i look at it it's probably a different alex gordon that's a, just a quick <laughs> yeah. name he's thought, a vice, quick, pre, vice president of wells fargo in yeah uh, Kansas I, quickly, City now. <laughs> I quickly looked at a roster just to make sure and that yeah so yeah yeah i mean we did our our um we did a was it a 10 year or a 12 year reunion out of the blue um, brought all the guys back. And I mean, it was, you, you talk about, a, a a mixed match of, of careers and where we all ended up. I mean, at 12, I mean, that's, you're young. I mean, you, oh, you know, so young, you know, and even look at hockey players. I mean, didn't, I don't care what sport you're at 12, you might be the best, but there's, you know, the chance that you end up pro from at, you know, somebody calling it at 12 is right. It's so small. Know. And so many of these kids, like you say, in whatever sport it is, 
some of the best players oftentimes are are the best because they're bigger. They've matured. Dude, quicker, yeah, totally. Right? I mean, and you always look at the other team. It seems like every youth team, you look at the other team and they've got kids who are shaving at 12. They probably no, drove themselves there. And, and, uh, and you think to yourself, how could that kid be 12? My kid is, you know, barely 60 pounds or whatever. I, and that was me. That was me. I, there's a, <laughs> there's a picture there being, I, I, I have twigs for legs and arms and uh, I'm the, the shrimp of, of that, uh, of that whole tournament. And then, yeah, to your point, there are some, you watch it now. It's scary. There's some oh, kids pitching and coming up to bat and you're like, wait, what? Who? No, 12. When they show the equivalency, right? They, they, you're standing at what 40 feet from on the mound, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the like speed. That. Yeah, and they show that. Yeah, that's that's equals like a 112 mile an hour pitch. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God! Crazy. Well, but but then they do get guys like Danny Almonte, who turns out to be 16, and is uh, um, yeah, they have a few issues there. But yeah, but it's, you it's know. the only little league is the only at that age at 12. Everything moves back, I believe, except right, the next league. year. Yeah, yeah. So little league's the only league that still stays with that short distance from the the mound to the plate. Uh, it's yeah, yeah it's uh, that's well, that was my excuse. It's too close, guys. We should be backed up here. I can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling. That's right. Yeah. You got, you got less than a 10th of a second to figure out if you're going to swing or not. So yeah. 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 And I missed T ball and I got all the excuses for why I was a bad, uh, bad at bat. But, but I, <laughs> you soon there, I mean, you had mentioned you, you had to get out of the house, you had to play an outdoor sport and all of this. And, and yeah. uh, so when did hockey, cause hockey sort of became a little late for you, relatively speaking, right. Or at least the devotion to it, the full-time devotion to it. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously uh, kids now, I I think you're forced to play the sport you want year round, you know, whether you want, you know, if you like hockey, whether you're good or not, if if you're going to play hockey, then you're almost forced to play year round. It's, it's kind of hard to, to be well-rounded and play other sports. You know, for me was my passion. Hockey was my dream. You know, uh, you heard guys going for a scholarship or even just playing junior, you know, getting drafted junior or playing even in the, the tier two, the OPGHL there. Um, yeah. I mean, I just was behind, I just was way behind everybody at that time. I, I was an okay, I was an okay player, but you had the Ryan O'Mara's, the Coglianos, uh, you know, they were the the big names or was a big name that went on. Um, you know, they were just, yeah. Phil Oreskovic. They, they were just the name, you know, they were the guys who went to junior, went to major and college. And uh, I was, I was late to, to your point, Sim, just, you know, late played my second year midget out, uh, and like, you know, we've kind of, I know we've definitely done the story before, but it was, I, I think it probably made me a better hockey player. I, I know I'll push my kids to be well-rounded as much as I can and then play different sports. I mean, I think to, and to Charlie's point as well, I mean, you're 12 and you're big and you've put all your effort into hockey, but you know, you might, you can't throw a baseball or you can't swing a bat. You can't, you know, play basketball or another sport. And some kids, you know, the, the top, the top dogs that top 0.01% that are going to be hockey players, you know, the, maybe the McDavid's or, you know, whatever night that he didn't play another sport, but I just think in general, being well, well-rounded, being an overall athlete is super important to whatever sport, you, you know, you're going to end up in. And um, I think that was big for me. Yeah. I was just reading about during this COVID time, there, there, there are kids right now because football got pushed back and whatever there are kids now that are playing three sports in the spring which is just amazing to me. I mean, you yeah. know, they're playing because football's here now, and then they're also playing baseball and maybe they're running track as well, or mm-hmm. whatever sport got else got pushed. I mean, it's, 
it, it really is amazing. So those, those are that's crazy to me that you, you're you able play to play three sports, and, and, and it's crazy to me that coaches allow that to happen. Yeah, because you hear I don't know if you ever played with, but you hear every so often like like Dave Winfield was going to play played basketball and baseball at the University of Minnesota, for example. You know, and there yeah. are guys like that that have done football and baseball or whatever but to to allow that to happen for a coach to allow that to happen uh it's a special person as a coach but it's certainly a special athlete that that they allow that to happen yeah especially that many i mean you know prep schools you might get you know a kid that's allowed to play both as long as they don't cross over uh you know season wise whether you know maybe it's lacrosse and hockey or you know soccer and hockey guys that were in college and you know coming from a prep school in Canada it's definitely not like that I mean I played every sport I missed practices to play in other games like I I was doing our I did our hockey team volleyball track uh soccer uh you know I I I would touch them all and I, I loved it now it was just you know that it's just not as serious as prep school or at least it wasn't back then so hey it won't be a practice I'm I'm, I'm playing in a, you know I've got our team volleyball game uh, you just you don't get that anymore really in high school I mean you you know maybe a couple sports and and like to your point you got to be a, probably a special player that's going to be given that that rope to to go you didn't uh you mentioned this that you didn't play you weren't drafted to play major juniors uh and you eventually you, you get a scholarship to go to Brown, but how did the recruiting process work? Did you have to, and Brown's as an Ivy league school, so no scholarships. Mm. Uh, and, and how did that, how did you end up there? How, how, how were you recruited? Were there other, was there other interest? And did you ever see yourself like eventually becoming a pro hockey player? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, loving hockey growing up. Every, if you're, you know, growing up in Toronto, you played hockey, your dream was to play in the NHL. I, you know, I don't care if you're the, you're the best or the worst, you, you know, that's, that's kind of just follows the the Toronto footprint of a kid, you know, playing hockey. Uh, never mind major junior. I, I couldn't even find a team to play in the tier two, right. To play in that, in the Ontario junior league. Right. Um, not, not the major one. So I wasn't even getting the flyer handout to come try out there. So I was forced to play when everybody went to that league, at least, or major junior. I then played my second year of midget. Long story short, we were in a, a tournament kind of towards the end of the season out in Vancouver. Uh, and a coach from the BCHL was, um, was, was there. there. It was actually Jim Hiller. Uh, and, and, uh, he was the one that, approached me and said, Hey, would you want to come out here for a little, you know, camp tryout? Who's coach Port Alberni. He was probably one of the most instrumental coaches of, of my career that kickstarted and taught me how, you know, what pro hockey would, would, you know, what would it would take basically and start to mold my game and, and kind of find a role that you'd need to, to play to get there. Um, so even though that was at a young age, he was probably the most, you know, instrumental in that regard. Um, decent first year i guess we you know played on the fourth line we had a good fourth line we had a great run we ended up getting upset in the playoffs uh did my second year uh you know a few more goals i think maybe 20 goals that year i got to uh and i had a couple couple the probably the biggest piece of getting to brown was devin timberlake was a guy that was my captain at port alberni he was recruited by brown the year before i went uh and so you know, I guess just over conversations and them checking him out that year, uh, I was maybe on the radar from that, but, uh, it ended up, I had two options, um, Brown or Alaska. And so that was really it. Alaska would have been, um, obviously a full ride. And then At Fairbanks? 
at Fairbanks yes. or Anchorage? Fairbanks, okay. And then um, Brown, what's up to your point, um, Charlie, is yeah, it's all based on financial aid and, and family, um, you know, income and things like that. So we had to, you know, make a decision, but ultimately it was, uh, I was set on, on Brown at that point, if we could make it work and uh, it did. So I was very grateful that, uh, that it was Brown. And was it people, I was just going to say people, people get an idea that, well, you went to an Ivy league school, but you were a hockey player. You're a jock, but you were all on, well, you were academic uh, all conference uh, at Brown as well. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, they they hold a pretty high standard, especially the Ivy League schools in general. I mean, just in, in terms of recruits coming in, it is hard to bring a lot of, you know, you, to bring a lot of top players. And if they don't have an academic background to support it, at least from, uh, you know, high school grades and SAT, I mean, they, they definitely have a benchmark that they need to meet year after year. Um, so if you're bringing somebody in, you know, way below that mark, you better have somebody that's coming in that, that, you know, is way above and, and kind of help level, you know, level that out. I don't know exactly, you know, how some teams have more leeway than others, but, uh, yeah, it's, you know, th thankfully I, I, I did do well in high school and, and had, uh, you know, that was able to help bump up my SAT as well. I guess the Canadian high school for whatever reason was worth a little more. Some of the, the grades I had there anyways, it, it was, uh, yeah, you definitely have to have uh, some academics in, in most cases, unless you are the, you know, the outlier that they're willing to bring in. I was not the, the outlier at that, that point. <laughs> the, grade, the grades thing is like the currency translation a little bit, I think. It's, that's that's how it works. Like your hmm. the dollar is worth a little more and American dollars worth more in Canada, but the Can Canadian grades are worth more in the U.S. So Correct. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, yeah, looking academic. at it real quick, I typed in 2000 Little League World Series on Google, and it said notable players Julian Vandervelde, who played for the Philadelphia Eagles, and he holds the NFL record for being released 21 times over his career. So <laughs> he played for the Iowa team in, uh, in the same played college football. At least Iowa. 21. I mean, I, I, I was a bit of a suitcase. I touched a few organizations, but that's pretty, I guess, you know, we kind of had the same, the same boat there. We were, we were flopping around pretty quick, I guess. If you, if you bring that up and I, I want to start first with how difficult was it to get established at Brown when you, when you go there and, and um, I mean, you know, they, they, you hear all the time, the word scholarship and full ride and all of this. And Brown doesn't offer that, as you said, but you yeah. hear that and, and you're under the assumption that it's a four-year commitment from the school, but that's not really the case. It's a year to year thing from these schools when they offer you scholarships, it's this season. And if it works out, we'll bring you back and so on and so on. So what is it like at Brown to try to establish yourself and, and, and keep stay on the team? Yeah. Good question. And actually similar, I don't know a hundred percent, what that's like, because I know, I don't know if that, like, if you did come in for hockey on the first year, if you weren't going to be allowed to play on the team, I still think you're able to continue at the school. Right. Um, yes. For sure. But, um, you know, academically like, to your point, I mean, that's a, it's a big, you know, that's a family. That's my, I got to thank my parents obviously, right. For, for making that commitment and, and investment, you know, to allow me to go there. That's a, that's a tough one, right? Like you have, a, you got a full scholarship to a place like Alaska. I think the big piece there was um, a guy by the name, Tom McAvey. He was kind of our academic liaison. He's, he's the King of Port Alberni. I like to say he was the, the school, uh, um, 
uh, not principal. And I mean, he really, I mean, he's just a, a notable guy in that community. Anyways, he was the guy that said, you know, I had a close relationship with, and he said, hockey doesn't last forever, uh, which is obviously true and, and hard to think about back then, but you know, you have an opportunity to go to a school and to be honest back then, sure. Ivy league school, Brown, a Canadian guy, Toronto, I'm not going to say it's not like I really knew, you know, how special or important that was. Uh, so I have to give him a lot of credit of, of really saying you have an opportunity to join, you know, an elite group of, of schools or get an education from, from one of those schools. I, you know, it's something you should really think about and, uh, and explore. And so I, I do give a lot of credit to, to Tom McAvey for pushing me in that direction. My, my family and I, and going but, down then they, but then to get on the ice when, I mean, you're there to play obviously academics, but you're there to play hockey. So mm-hmm. was it hard to, to crack the lineup? Was it hard to things like that? Uh, you know, a little bit, yes and no. I think it's, I guess, yes, no, the answer is yes. Especially when you're coming in, not the, you know, a top, top prospect. Um, you know, you kind of have that, that hill to climb of a first year, second year, and you kind of just earn your playing time over, over time in any sport, in any elite college sport, because it's like, you know, it's not like you're going anywhere. It's like, this isn't working out freshman year. Sure. You can, you know, transfer, but then you're red shirting. I mean, it's a different dynamic than pro where, you know, you, the coaches, you have to manage these relationships with kids because they're not going anywhere. You have them for four years. Uh, so definitely to get going is it's a change. I mean, I was still young and small and now you're playing with 20. We had an older group of guys, 21 year olds, you know, you got some of those old school uh, guys from BC and, and Saskatchewan. And I mean, it's, you know, it's a tough, I, I think it's a great place to go for a lot of kids. It's if you're not ready to play in the NHL right away, then it's, it's definitely the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the chance to develop, it gives you a few more years make sure you're ready if you're going to continue to play after. So uh, it took me a little bit, obviously, if we look at the stats from college are a little scary. The first two years, don't look them up Simmer, but you probably, <laughs> I already have. I already I, we got them already. You, you've already looked them up and uh, yeah. And just a coaching change. My, my uh, junior senior year, they came in and, and just a new fresh opportunity and things clicked. It was definitely right place, right time. Uh, you know, that's a big part of it as well. You got to be lucky. Definitely have to be lucky. It's so interesting what you said about building your way up and and all of this as you weren't a top recruit and and, and so on and so on, because that that's kind of how your NHL career worked out. Like you had to build yourself up and build some equity with somebody. And Peter Laviolette is obviously somebody you build some equity with, but I, I, I find, I find it really interesting in that for the most of your career, it was one year in a spot, one year in a spot, one year in a spot. And I, I just was curious about when you have that mindset of trying to build that equity or, or, or look, looking for that opportunity, I guess, how do you balance the two? Yeah. I mean, do you know, did I want to bounce around that much? No. Uh, you know, obviously starting in what I would I've loved to just stay in Philly. Uh, but I guess for me, that was all part of the process. Uh, you know, did I always want to play more? Did I want to be in the lineup? Yeah. But in, in terms of, you know, being in the NHL, it almost goes back to Lavi's quote. I knew what would give me the best shot of being there. And it wasn't by if I was up sulking, if I, if I wasn't in the lineup, it wasn't, you know, just kind of being pissed off or, or whatever it was. I, you know, I enjoyed starting as that extra guy. And, and, you know, when I got my opportunity to, to run with it and, and that kind of repeated itself with Nashville, 
you know, and I think that's kind of what Lavi was able to see over that time too, is he knew what he was going to get from me, regardless if I was in or, or not, you know, did I want to be in every night? Sure. Uh, but you know, I found a way to just make myself valuable to a, a team. Um, you know, at the end of the day, coaches might appreciate that GMs have a different, you know, a call to make at the end of the year. Sure. You know, he was there, but you know, can we replace that? Is that, you know, can we fill that, that spot with somebody else? Sure. I mean, for me, I was just always looking who, where was my best opportunity? Who was going to give me an opportunity? Where, where was it sitting? And, and that probably forced me to, to jump around as, as much as I could. Right. I wanted to play more. So I kept chasing an opportunity that would, that would give me, um, you know, that opportunity. And, and that's, that's ultimately kind of how I, I treated the whole, the whole career is finding a place where I thought I'd get an opportunity and, and just making sure I, I brought that, uh, that same guy every day and, and made an impact that way. I, I want to go back to something that you said that it sounds kids roll their eyes when they say, when they hear this now sounds sort of cheesy, but even at the pro level, if you've got a good attitude and you're a positive person and you're putting forth your best effort, coaches notice that even at the NHL level, they see that you say, you see that to kids now and a lot of times, okay, whatever. Okay. That's fine. Sure. Here's a good example of a guy who came in every day with a positive attitude and coaches notice that type of thing. Yeah. No, I mean, that'll only get you so far though, Charlie. Sometimes, you know, you got to be able to play. Hey, this you is a good play. story though. We're telling, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, I, no, I, I hear you. I mean, I, you know, I did, I, I definitely hung my hat on that, on that part alone. And, you know, even Anaheim, I think there was one point in Anaheim, I was up for uh a month and change. I, I think I was a healthy scratch, maybe 14 games in a row, but I think I did the warm up every day. And there's, you know, kind of the joke of taking the gear off, you know, another 50, you know, 13 in a row. And I think you know, it was Corey Perry. Good in the locker room, stays in the locker room. Hey, you're a good guy. <laughs> in the locker room, stays in the locker room. But you know, I, I and I if that was, you know, if that was my ticket to staying up and I just that would give me as long as you're as long as you're being seen, right? If if you're up, if being a good guy and bringing energy and bringing positivity and and you know helping the room gel and, and all that, if that keeps you around to give you a sniff, that was really the the approach I took in in Nashville and and uh, and it ended up you know allowing me to stay that whole year and and really for the first time be a part of a team with only playing, you know, 24 games throughout the season, but then being able to be a guy that they went to in playoffs. And, you know, I think Lavi's quote, you know, sums up what gave me that opportunity. Real quick, uh, back to college. I, I, you mentioned stats. I'm looking at stats. How do you get 128 PIMS in college hockey? I was fighting, Simmer. I was fighting. <laughs> Put a, the mask maybe, on and everything. Yeah, right. Maybe well, the was, maybe the brain, maybe the the academic all conference wasn't, uh, no, wasn't no. quite so merited. I lost I, a bit of a loose cannon. I lost a little uh, a little control. There's too many misconducts. I found myself in the bad books with with the refs, and it became a, a scene. And I uh, and you can't shake that. If you get if you get in that if you get that reputation, that can't be shaken. I did. Oh, I did, and it was bad. I was getting penalties before the game started. It was. I, I was <laughs> It was, it got to that point and that was on me. I was definitely my fault. I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't handle that very well. That's a stat still in the Brown books. That's the most penalty minutes in one season. I think that's hey, all. There you go. It's uh, not impressive like because there's no fighting. There's no fighting majors. It's no, no, it's, it is impressive because there is no fighting. It right. doesn't speak well to, to, to any part of your game. If, if that's, uh, if that's how you got there with Miss well, like at, at least it's, yeah, it's tens though, instead of 
uh, 64 two-minute penalties. Yeah, you're right. You're right. There was yeah. <laughs> that would be a little more painful. It was a two, and it was a uh, a word exchanged or word. And, and <laughs> two I was, ten. It was yeah. a quick ten. Yeah, it was. I just I couldn't shut up at that point. You know, like like life in general, but. <laughs> Well, how much of that? How much of that stuck with you in the pros? Were you a jabbing guy, a ribbing guy? Like, could you get under a player's skin? I mean, you played yeah, a hard game. Right? Under you played a, skins, right? But I mean, how? How? Yeah. How much did you do that? And how much did you study? I don't know. Let's say a, a right wing from from Iowa, and you you knew everything about this guy. I mean, did you do that stuff? Did you get that deep? No, I, I didn't take it that deep. And and no, I mean, just you know, you're coming in no namer. I mean, did I play like a rat? You know, did I was, did I take that agitator role? Absolutely. Um, you know, I still came in, joined Philly broad street bully era that, you know, that was a little intimidating on its own, knowing that I was playing with Jody Shelley, Zach Ronaldo, and that, you know, my agent, you know, Don tells that you're, you're going to have to, you're going to have to fight. You know, and it's like, yeah, all right, all right, all right. Well, you know, so I mean, I got in a handful my first year. I and mean, Pat Maroon was my first one in the minors. It was new. Oh, really? First, I think in the NHL. And I mean, I got beat up bad. You don't have to look very far to see that. But you know, that was uh, I played that role, and and it was still there was still enough old school guys that you had to be. You had to be. I had to be careful. This wasn't college. I couldn't hide behind the cage. Uh, right. You know, it was, uh, did I have to play that style and did I have to, I guess, do it a couple of times to, to prove that I was willing, but you know, by no means was I big and strong enough to, I can't say I manned up and was able to do it my entire career. That was, uh, it, I give guys a lot of credit. That was, uh, it's a tough, a tough role to go, but I, I liked, I took the agitator side and, and left the, the fighting to, to some of the bigger boys there. Well, that's we, all right. we like to ask guys about, the first time you get called up to the NHL, it's in your first pro first full pro season. Uh, so tell us about that. Uh, how did you get, how did you find out where was it? What, who was it against? And did you, did they fly your parents in? Like nowadays it's written in guys contracts. The team flies the parents in for the game. Was it that way for you back in uh, what is it? 2006. Yeah. you know what? Oh, excuse That's, me, I didn't... Not 2006, 2011, 2011. Yeah. Um, I didn't know they did that anymore. I didn't know that was, or anymore. I didn't know that was in the contracts, but this is actually, it is a pretty good story. Uh, so I'm in Adirondack, you know, pretty good start. You know, there's some, some positive comments being exchanged from the, the management agent to myself and things like that. But I, I had no thought that a call-up would was even close at that time. Uh, even though the camp went really well, I thought I maybe had a, you know, a fighting chance to snag that last spot kind of right there till the end. Anyways, go down, you got to pay your dues, start going. And, and that was it. Uh, the first chance we had a day off somewhere a few weeks into the season. And I decided we, after practice, I was going to drive back to Brown. So my, my girlfriend was at Brown still go see the guys, you know, missed all the guys from already leaving. So I, I just got in the car and I, I drove, but I think it was like three and a half hours. And so I went in, I, I saw my girlfriend, I think she was going between girlfriend at the time. She was going between classes. And then I said, you know, I was going to go over to the hockey house and see the guys. And so I went in the room and we were just chatting. Everything was good. And I got a phone call from um, a number from the Adirondack from at that time. It, I didn't, it was John Paddock. I didn't even know it was uh, his number. Anyways, I answered and I, I'm, the guys are looking at me like, what's everything all right. And um, 
I'm just listening. And he goes, Hey, you know, just to let you know, you're getting called up by the Philadelphia flyers today. We, you know, we'll have a car service waiting for you uh, at the rink, you know, pack your stuff and and you're going to go. And I, I don't even know if I said anything. I was just in shock. I, I, I didn't even really hear the conversation. Uh, he said, the travel guy, Mike's going to give you a shout and, and let you know details. And I hung up and all the guys are staring at me. They're like, what's wrong? Who is that? What's I was happening. Like, right. I'm like, I just got, I just got called up to the NHL. I, I, I just got the call to, uh, to Philly and the play and they got and the guys went nuts. So they, they, they was just like a, a huge kind of brawl tackle fest just took place in the, in the, in the room. So how, how far is it from uh, Adirondack to, uh, to Providence? Yeah, it was like three and a half hours, I think. You just had you had to, you know, hop in your car. Well, and so then my, car. so then, yeah, so then, uh, you know, that happened. So now I tell, so now I'm telling the guys, they're excited. You know, then I get the call from the travel guy and he says, hey, we got the car service. It'll be here at six. And it's, I don't know what it is. It's, you know, four o'clock, maybe something like that. And, and I'm like, oh man, I went to Brown. I came to Brown. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, uh, Oh man. All right. Well, don't worry. I'll, I'll just push the, your car service will just be late and, and we'll, you know, we'll drive you to Philly. Cause it was, there's no flight involved. I just had to get to Philly. And then, okay. We'll so that's that luckily, luckily no flight, Luckily, but then I get the call from management right away saying, Hey, if you're going to do something like that, if you're going to, you know, if you're planning to buzz away, you got to give us a heads up so we can, you know, especially a guy that, you know, is on the radar for possible call up, things like that. So uh, it was a little, you know, it was an awesome time. It was a little scary. So I drove there. I was there for maybe 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Uh, and I was already back in the car heading back to, uh, to, uh, Adirondack. So what, 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 what was, who was your first game against? What was it like? Do you have any, uh, like, wh- like all moments, like, wow, I'm in the NHL, like during warmups, you look across and it's, you yeah. know, Crosby or whatever. Yeah, so Crosby went to later. The big one was uh, was probably Yager sitting in the room there with with Yager because Yager was in Philly at that time. Oh, right. So uh, yeah, it was it was probably seeing seeing Yager there in the dressing room. The game was against uh, Ottawa, so we flew to Ottawa. Obviously, I you know called my my family, my mom, sister. Uh, my mom did make the drive, so she did the drive. That was probably five or maybe five hours or so. I'd have to look it up from here to Ottawa. So she did that, showed up. Um, bit of a blowout game. I would say it wasn't that impressive for me for most of the game. I, you know, kind of trying to mix it up a little bit. Not much happened. We were blowing them out. I think it was 6-1. There was a minute left. Labby was kind of overplaying us now the last couple minutes to – to where you could you could barely stand, but uh, the last shift of the game, well, a yeah, second last shift of the game, we had a face off in their zone, and and Max Talbot won it back, and uh, I got a pass, maybe it was from Talbot into the corner, and I had a play on in uh, on Anderson there and, and scored my first goal. So, first shot, first goal in the NHL was the seven one the seven one goal marker. Lavi still kept us on the ice, picked up a dash the next uh, <laughs> next shift, probably didn't block the shot. Uh, <laughs> ended the game with a, with a goal and, um, and, uh, and, you know, an even, even mark. Up. <laughs> but, but I think, I don't want to say you're selling yourself short. Your goal, was it the number one or number two play on sports center top 10 the next day? Yeah, it was number two. It, it was, yep. it was number two. I lost out to a high school. Uh, oh yes. Slam dunk. So they had, they had one of those kind of from like an old, like, you know, 
wasn't great quality, but I, I think it was a pretty impressive dunk. So it, it took the, it took the cake on number one. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, that was the, you know, the messages, the texts, you know, the, my mom there, she was crying as I walked out. Uh, you know, it was, it was, you're riding high, you know, that call, I I'll always say that it's like a, a drug, at least for, you know, the situation that I was in and, and guys can relate to it. That call up, there's no better feeling than, than being called up to the NHL. And then, you know, being able to score in the NHL is, is a pretty, pretty special feeling too. So riding high, flew back to Philly, came in next day. I uh, was sent back to the minors next day. So <laughs> it was, uh, you know, that, that's kind of the yeah. story. Of, that's the story of my career right there is, uh, you know, I remember Paul when he goes, yeah, you're probably not going to believe this, but you know, we got, uh, we got to send you back. Uh, I think <laughs> you're probably right. not going to believe this. <laughs> yeah. You, you had a great game. You know, I know you're probably riding high, you know, we got to, I think Nodal. Andreas Nodal was coming back or maybe he was banged up for a game or I'm not sure what it was anyway. So, you, you know, you're going down, but um, it was a good, good splash. And then I was up, uh, you know, a few weeks later and, and had a good run for 30 something games at that point. So it was um, yeah. Good, good splash for the rookie season. You mentioned Yager, the character, just the character of, of Yarmir Yager um, that, that I'm aware of anyway, the, this fun loving, obviously he's a tremendous professional. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And then Brizgalov, who is, I mean, I can't imagine that locker room with those two people. You know what? That, those two guys, but that whole team was unbelievable in terms of, you know, the core guys there. You had Giroux, you had Scotty Hartnell, um, you, you know, teaming in on the back end, Wayne Simmons, Max Talbot. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the veteran guys that were there. I mean, well, Pronger they were, got hurt, but Pronger, Chris Pronger was there. He was there. And so, you know, he was obviously, the, I mean, that was, you know, that's the guy that's, you know, kind of the, that's the tone. Yeah. Yeah. He's setting the tone from the get go. Uh, obviously he wasn't around a lot while I was there just because of that, that specifically, but it had already been set. I mean, that, that group of guys, I mean, you talk about old school, that, that was almost a group of guys where if, if you didn't pop out for a beer or kind of hang out, you know, when there was an opportunity, you know, it was kind of, you know, what, what's wrong with you? What the hell's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, that was, that's a team where guys really gelled well and and had a lot of fun. So that was an, you know, then we, that was the 24 seven season. So we had uh, HBO following us there and we were riding high through that um, and obviously ended up losing, but I mean, there was just that group of guys was, was awesome. Yeah. Uh, Let's fast, let's fast forward and we can jump. We've been jumping around a lot, but this is the at Milwaukee Admirals podcast. So let's talk about your time in Milwaukee. You mentioned how you ended up signing here. Did you know anything about Milwaukee though? Like, cause you know that you're probably, they tell you you're, you're a depth guy. We want to call you up, but you're probably going to be starting in the minors. Did you know anything about Milwaukee heading into it? I did not. Uh, the, uh, and the, the only plug I can give here, Gruber law in Milwaukee. Uh, Steve Gruber is a guy that played basketball at Brown. One of my really good buddies, uh, his wife, Jacqueline Small, really good friends with uh, my wife as well. She played hockey there. Um, she's from actually Toronto. So long story short, he they lived in, in Milwaukee. So we definitely had, you know, a good, a good, you know, um, couple there that was, you know, ready to welcome us in and, and kind of show us the ropes and help us figure out where we were going to live and, and all those things. So it was nice to have a familiar face you know, without, before meeting anybody, before meeting coaches and teammates and all that. Uh, so they're, you know, they were awesome and, and really, 
you know, may it's just, it just helped. I mean, just the comfort of going into a new city, but knowing that you have some of your best friends from college there still. Uh, and yeah, that was, uh, so that was them there. Uh, but from a team, I mean, I remember the first, I think once we had our first official team meeting, the team there, the makeup of guys, I mean, that was also a team that gelled really well. Uh, and it was, you know, you, you almost had that family feel there, which was pretty cool. You don't get that on, on every team, especially in the minors. It can be, you know, guys are John for a, a call up and I would be one of those guys. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, if the team isn't really that tight, I mean, it's, you can get a lot of individual, you know, people involved and, and that wasn't the, the feeling there. Definitely that my, uh, starting there that first year. I remember you guys, it was you and, and Cammy, Vladislav Kamenev and Adam Payroll. And yeah. you were calling yourselves like the world leaders line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? Like Payroll was Justin <laughs> yeah, what Trudeau. Was that line? I yeah, what was it? Pay payroll was Justin Trudeau. And you, you, I guess, got you got left with Trump because for whatever reason, right? Because you're an American. Or yeah, well, I was mostly American. I've been living. Yeah, I went to yes. college. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, so, and then Cammy was right. Born. Right? That's right. I forgot that. That's right. That was that line. Yeah. That what was, a good line, man. That had a, that had a little, something for everyone there. Oh yeah. That whole team, honestly, that whole makeup of, of guys. I mean, we had, yeah. it was just, un, we had the French connection there too. They were yeah. awesome. Some of the best guys, you know, most fun I've had playing with, with guys. It was, it was pretty cool. How do you, how do you communicate with Kamenev? Cause he was, he was really, really Russian. Like, like he, but, but the amazing thing is, and Dean, Dean Everson always said this, like hockey was hockey. Like he understood, he knew what was going on, but I, I can't imagine like the specifics. Yeah. You can, you can holler, Hey, he'll, he'll hear your voice, but I, you know, things like that. Like, I don't understand. How did you do that? Yeah. A lot of pointing, <laughs> a lot of pointing at things, just, you know, smacking sticks back at him. I mean, he is a, he's a special player. I actually, I, I, you know, I know we've, I've seen him a couple. I don't know where he is right now. I know he was having that run with back, Colorado. back in Russia. He's some in Russia. Yeah. Did he yeah. go back? Yeah. Uh, but you know, he was, he was awesome. And he was a young guy that, that Adam Peril and I, you know, took pride in, in kind of helping mold him and, and, you know, making him a, a true pro and, and guys like that, you, you have to warm up to them. You have to have, there's gotta be some fun and there's gotta be some life around it. And I think, you know, we got, I think that line comes because Adam Perrell and I are, are trying to create this, you know, exciting environment for him or not environment, but uh, you know, just to, just to something to, to kind of work off of. And so when you were kind of giving him shit or yelling at him or, you know, something, you know, it was, it could still be in a little bit of fun or you at least respected you at that point. And it didn't feel like you were just, you know, mother effing them or, you know, whatever it was. So, I mean, you just had so much talent and those young guys, I mean, you know, I, I was able to get that through my career. And I mean, it's important for those guys, especially when they don't speak the language and, you know, they probably feel that some, it's easy to feel excluded and, and, you know, not part of things and you don't always know what's going on. So yeah, the world leader line, uh, you know, came into play and, and uh, yeah, I mean, he was a special talent. They're both overseas, I guess, because Peril's still in Germany and, and I guess, yeah. um, and, and Putin over in you Russia. bring up you bring up Adam Payerl. He uh uh if you meet Harry Zollner Zollner Chuck, you'll know that this guy's he's probably a pretty funny guy, you know, he's gonna pull some jokes. If you meet Adam Payerl, you would never get that until you got to know him. I remember telling our coaches one time, Stan to Dean and Stan, I said, Adam Payerl might be the funniest guy in the locker room. They're like, No way. 
when they're like, we walk in there and he just sits at his stall and he doesn't say anything. We figured he's psycho. But yeah. no, this guy is hilarious. The biggest prankster by far. Absolutely. He was the biggest prankster. Undercover, didn't know it. Once you knew it, then you knew it. And it was guys internally where you knew where it was coming from. But yeah, he was, uh, he's got that big bill, that tough look, sits there quiet. You wouldn't know he's up to no good. Right. And his hairstyle looks like he's you know right out of the 50s, not wearing a bucket out there. Oh, he's all, you know, somebody's growing it out. And the next thing it was short. I mean, he was just, it's hard to keep a pulse on that guy. He was dangerous. What, what was a good prank that he pulled out? Anything come, what, what comes to mind? I, you know what? I wish I, it were, I'm getting too old here. I know I should have, I should have prepped you for this, right? Yeah, I should I'd have to call him and figure I mean, the brain of the memory's gone, Charlie. I, this is a, this is a question you asked me at the end of the season. That's uh, not, uh, not five years later, not five years later, but you know, he was always just, you know, he was poking at something. He, he'd always, you know, he had something for everybody. That's for sure. Him and, and Liambus, him and, and Bussy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And there, there's another guy too, right? Like Mike Liambus that would, uh, he'd, he'd do anything for you. He, and uh but yeah he he there too would was was slick was funny was all of that right would do all of yeah, that stuff. no and honestly that that team I mean, they, the management had done a great job of bringing in character guys definitely you know to start when i came in I, you just knew they had a good gel and it was easy to to fit in and there wasn't not much work to be done in terms of creating a, a family atmosphere there it was a pretty pretty special locker room right off the bat so i was fortunate to to get in there right away you, uh, <laughs> you got, you're a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeves, pretty much. You know what you're thinking, right? Well, there's one picture of Harry Zollnerchuk that I will, I will never forget. And it's not even a game picture. It's you standing on the blue line because the world's longest performance of the national anthem of God bless America is going on. And I, I can't believe, do you, I hope you remember this because I'm going to find do. the picture. I'm going to show it to you. It's literally like a five, it's five or six minutes the long. The band is in the corner. Yeah. The yeah. band is in the corner. And, 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 and you look up, you look up, you're starting, you look down the blue line at whoever, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? And I, I love that picture. If I had, if I printed pictures out and hung them on my wall, I would have that picture do you do you remember that uh, that particular instance? I do, and, and let, let me first preface by saying, you know, I respect all the the schools getting involved in doing that. It, it's honestly, I know they love it. It's unbelievable, and I just remember that that one particular. They did such a unique version of it. I didn't even know if it was the song at times. I, I think the first time, I think it was like an intro part to it that you didn't even know this. It was the song yet. Uh, and it, yeah, that was a, that was a long one. Maybe they, maybe they caught us in a back-to-back or a three and three, you know, patience is three and threes. Patience can be, can be a little it's, low it's at that point. Tough there. to be had. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I do remember that though. I do remember. I don't know who I was looking and at. And I'll, I'll share this when we broadcast this, I will share that picture for sure. Uh, because it's a, it's an, it's an all timer. I think your, your, uh, mouthpiece is hanging out of your mouth and it's like, wow. and we're wearing, if I'm not mistaken, we're wearing the uh, slap shot jerseys. We're wearing the, uh, oh, the, uh, the jerseys, uh, the handsome brother jerseys, but they say admirals across the front. No, no, I wasn't complaining about God. I was asking what face-off play we were running. Yes, right, right off the bat, you got to get off to a good start. I was, yeah, yeah. 
uh, another guy that you that you played with we, that we mentioned uh, was Mike Liambus. Just talk about uh, playing with Mike and and you guys have similar personalities, very outgoing, you know, very passionate. Uh, what was it? What, you know, what are you, what are your memories of playing with Mike and against Mike too? Because you certainly did. Yeah, you don't want to play against Mike. That's for sure. Um, you know, never. I don't even think of playing with. I just just being with him. I mean, he's a guy that you enjoy being around. I mean, that's you talk salt of the earth. That guy is, you know, he was one of my, one of my favorites that I've, that I've played with by far. And I'm, I'm not even, I'm not just saying that. I mean, we bonded right off the bat. Uh, you know, we clicked, we still stay in touch. I mean, Bussy is, he's just that type of guy. I mean, from a hockey point. Yeah. I mean, he's the guy you want on your team. You don't want to see that guy skating on the other side. Cause if he's, if he hunts you down, you're in trouble. Right. Um, but you know, you just talk about a, a team guy, you know, also loves, you know, making sure that, you know, having a, a good, uh, kind of family atmosphere, making sure everybody's on the same page. I mean, that was, you know, that he, he thrived in, in bringing guys together and, and just making, just making people to be good people, to be honest, you know, he just, he really found a way to bring the, the best out of people and definitely did that for me. And then I know, I, you know, I love just spending time with him, regardless if we were at the, the rink or not. So we're recording this on NHL trading deadline day. Oh yeah. What are uh, we doing now? And so there's a few hours left before everything is done. You were traded twice and in sort of a unique circumstances, once in season and then just the very next off season again, tell yeah. us what it was like when you to be traded in the middle of the year. That's got to be a disconcerting feeling. Yeah, the first trade is not uh, is not uh, a great story to be honest. I mean, it just I was up in Philly. You know, I was grinding it out that that second year. It was the uh, the lockout year, so we started shortened season. Um, didn't get a chance to kind of make that team out of camp, which was disappointing. Anyways, I had found myself up. I was getting a, a little sniff, and then uh, uh, I was traded out of the blue to Anaheim. And I thought as Paul Holmgren had called, you know, trade to Anaheim that, wow, you know, I'm like, well, Anaheim was, they were, I think they were first in the, in the conference at that time. Right. And I was like, well, I mean, geez, I, I don't really want to leave Philly, but I guess that's a good place to go. Um, and, you know, so I, there was part of me, I didn't know how I felt until I got the next call from Anaheim. I think it was David McNabb called me and he said, uh, really excited to have you. Uh, we're actually, we're going to send you to, to uh, Norfolk first. No, Norfolk. Cause they were oh, in Norfolk. Norfolk. That's right. Yeah. 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 Norfolk. Uh, if it was San Diego, which I did play in, I, I would have been, you know, I would have been all right with, cause San Diego is my favorite place to be, but yeah, you get that call and it's like, you're, you're like a little confused, caught off guard, but all right, you're going to Anaheim. They're number one, uh, be a part of a pretty cool playoff run here maybe. And, uh, you get sent down to Norfolk and that was it. I, I actually didn't play for Anaheim that season. I went up for the playoffs. Um, but yeah, it was kind of a, a disappointing trade to, to say the least. So, uh, well, not too much there. And then the off season, I was traded to Pittsburgh, which I was, really excited about obviously just because of the way it ended not really not much opportunity and leaving the nhl going right to the ahl in the trade you know then a, a fresh start with pittsburgh and had played against them a bunch you know just with philly and philadelphia yeah yeah and bosma was there and so a good chat with them and i was a little scared uh i would say just because of how deep that team was and and you know their minor league team is always stacked um so you know, I was excited, but from an opportunity standpoint, I wasn't sure. Uh, good camp, didn't make it. And then, you know, got called up. I think I had 
what I have 13 games maybe that year, but you know, that was a chance to, you know, sit alongside Crosby, uh, Malkin, you know, you, you get a couple of names like that. It was, um, you know, pretty, pretty special, pretty, pretty special. You talk about being in, a, in an A-class organization, uh, definitely played in, in a bunch. Uh, we won't rank any of them, but I'll tell you that Pittsburgh was top-notch and very professional the way they, they ran everything from the top down. Um, you, you can see why they, they have so much success or, or have had so much success, especially from the, the little bit I was able to catch there. When you, uh, when you decided to hang it up, how difficult was that decision? Because you, you were coming off statistically – your best, the best season of your career. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a lot of that had to, you know, I, I said to myself early, especially with a, a degree from, from Brown. And once I couldn't get back to the NHL, I had said, you know, that's when I, I would, you know, kind of make my call. Uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, to hang around in the minors for, you know, year after year after year, um, with no shot at getting back to the NHL. I mean, that was, that was the reason I played was to play in the NHL. And, and, and because I, you know, obviously I love playing, but I knew that you have to make the transition at some point. And I didn't, you know, I didn't want to stretch it to where I, I really just removed myself and, and making that transition would be tough. Uh, you know, wife, first child was in play at that point. Second one was coming. Uh, yeah, it was a great year statistically, um, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I knew that the NHL was, you know, was, it was pretty slim to none at that point. Um, just in terms of the deals I was signing AHL deals, you know, I had an unbelievable start, you know, in, in, uh, Springfield that year, if there was a chance to go up to the NHL, it was going to be, it would have been that year in terms of just, you know, statistical performance. I, you know, I think it was nine points in four games, which is unheard of for, for someone like me. So, you know, it, but I knew why they brought me in and and obviously you still have that hope that maybe you can you sneak up and, and get involved and um, you know, it just wasn't the place. So, you know, I, I knew I'd step away and then get into something different right off the bat. It's um I don't know. I mean, you'll, you'll always miss it. It doesn't matter when you leave. It's uh, I still miss it. I miss the dressing room. I'm a, I'm a, like, like, you know, like the guy said, good in the room stays in the room. I'll miss that, uh, that part of it, miss being with the boys for sure. So uh, I'm still struggling with it, to be honest. There's no, I think, I don't think there's an easy way to, to leave the game. I'm, I'm grateful. I got to do it on my, you know, on my own, or at least not from an injury or, or anything right. like that. I mean, there's a lot to be thankful for. Um, but, de- you know, definitely no regrets. It was just, um, yeah, something, you know, a decision you, you had to make. But but is it a situation where you miss, when I talk to my dad about retiring, when I talk to other people, you miss the people. You don't miss necessarily the work, right? You don't miss, you don't miss practice. You don't miss the game necessarily, the games themselves necessarily, but you miss and maybe not the six hour bus ride to Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> but you, but you missed the conversations on that six hour bus ride to Des Moines, Iowa. Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think, I mean, but playing hockey is just so far from being a job. And now that I am in the corporate world and actually working, you know, geez, maybe I do miss that six hour bus trip to, to, to Des Moines, yeah. to Des Moines you know, um, or, you know, the work, I mean, that was, 
you don't make it if you don't really in, enjoy some of that secretively, you know, tr- that routine, sure. and that, you know, that training every morning, you know, bagging yourself in the summer, you know, whoever you're, you know, that, that bar just kept raising every summer for everybody, you know, the, the conditioning, I mean, it, it didn't change in training camps and things like that. And the practices, sure. The minors are bigger grinds of three and threes and a practice, maybe the next morning to have another day off, you know, do you hate those while you're doing it? Yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you shaking your head when the coach wants to bring in for a morning skate out, you know, the next day and then give you the day off? Yeah. But you know, it's hockey to me was not a job by, you know, it was far from it. And I, I truly enjoyed, like you said, some of the guys, all of that. Um, and so I missed that for sure. And I, I probably, I missed the parts that I, that I probably hated, you know, that I did hate when I was at times when I was playing. So yeah, for me, I don't think it'll be something where you you ever really get you know get over it. I think you'll always miss a little bit of it. It's a it's it's a fantasy to me. It's it's truly a bit of a fantasy for a guy that you know wasn't a, a expected to make it. I was the guy that how did he make it kind of thing or that guy's playing hockey. Right. Uh, so for me, it was it's a bit of fantasy land that playing hockey and being in the NHL. That was uh, you know it was pretty special. Do those routines as you mentioned the the, the that you have to stick to working out practice at 10, so on and so on. Do those stick with you in the, in the rest of your life? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, that's what makes us who we are. I would say as, as athletes, the, the scary thing is you don't realize how much, you know, you are on autopilot because those are made for you. You know, your, your schedule is made for you. Now, do you have to be strict with it? Absolutely. Right. Are, is your training and your routine and your health and, and everything you put into play, you know, is it all regimented? Yes. Uh, but it's, you know, here's your bus, here's your itinerary. This is, you know, when we're leaving this and that, I mean, it's, here's your plane ticket. Here's your plane ticket. Here's, you know, obviously NHL, you're, you're getting spoiled. You got guys, you're not, you're not lifting a finger, but um, you know, the real world I love a routine. And, and so, you know, you, it's a, you know, you work a little harder to, to really have it, you know, detailed and organized and it's uh, it's, it's tough. I, I don't think, you know, we've, I've spoken with guys that are, you know, in the same position as me and um, it's a tough transition regardless of a, of an, you know, what type of education you have background there's uh it's, it's pretty daunting because it's hard to look into those things while you're still playing. Ever, ever coaching, scouting, anything like that? Does that ever interested you? Yeah. I mean, you know, is there part of me that thinks that, you know, I can sniff back to the hockey side? I, absolutely. I knew I'd step away, you know, completely, which I, I have done, but, you know, coming back to whether is it coaching, is it scouting? Is it maybe in the agency side of things, you know, management, I, I, you know, I, I think, there's a lot of different paths you can take to kind of get back into the hockey world. It's definitely some things I'm exploring uh, right now, uh, but nothing definitive. Yeah. I, we've kept you a long time yeah. and you've, you got three kids, but I, st- I, I think we'd be re- uh, just, including a, just a newborn. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk to you about that Preds playoff run that you were in. We, we referenced your goal earlier, but that's in a, that's the, the pinnacle of the predators, of their organization's history. That's the pinnacle. And you had a major role in that. We had, just to tell you a quick backstory on it, we had David Poyle. He was here for uh, for affiliation negotiations that year. And it was right before the playoffs. And our owner had said to him, David, who do you want to, who do you want to see in the first round? And he says, well, 
I think we I think we'd like to see the Blackhawks. I think we we think we match up really well with them. And everyone in the room, including myself, was like, "Yeah, okay, right. This is the the Kane and the and the Taves and the Duff Duncan. Yeah, you want to play the Blackhawks, okay, David? Well, guess what? There's a reason he's the one of the winningest GMs of all time, and I'm just it's a schlep in the uh, office. He was yeah. right. Going into that series, did you guys think you could beat them? Of course, you thought you could beat them, but when did you realize you could beat them? Was it game one? When was it? You know, it, it truly was before that. And I, you know, obviously Poyle knew that that was obviously the discussions they were having. I mean, I, again, I'll give Labby credit the way he prepared us for that series. We truly believed that it, we weren't just going to like find a way to contain them and, and sneak by. He had the, you know, he had us in this true belief that we were the word. I still remember the word he used was dismantle. We are going to dismantle the Blackhawks. And, you know, I mean, I don't know, it makes me sound by saying it, but that's, that was truly the word he used. I mean, won't go Which, and that. you did like, it wasn't even close. Yeah, I know it was, it was, un, and, and literally after game one, it, it was, you know, if there was any second guess or any, you know, reservations or, you know, anything that was there, I mean, it was, it was gone. And I mean, you know, to your point, every, every analyst, I mean, I, of all of them, I think there was one of the 65 that had picked Nashville or maybe two. I, I can't remember what it was. I mean, it and was if they, a, and if they picked Nashville, it was in seven games, right? It, was it wasn't, oh, it wasn't just a, a whooping like you guys put on them. Yeah, and it was a landslide of, of Chicago picks for sure. Um, but it, we went into that, honestly, I, I would say we just, we knew that we were going to dismantle them and we just, uh, what we thought our game plan was, was perfect to do it. We thought we had the right personnel. Um, yeah. Right. Top to bottom. And that's, that's how it went. And it was a, it was a, you know, it, I know it shocked everybody, but to be honest, it, we, it, it happened. We were, we were expecting it. And, and it's, and, just talk about then from there. You just gain confidence. You sweep the Blackhawks, right? Like you, you've got, man, your, your, your confidence is through the roof. Rightfully so went through the next two rounds, not easily, but uh, you know, handedly, if you will. Yeah. You know, that's again, uh, again, being a part of a lot of, uh, not a lot, but a handful of different organizations. That was a, a unique group of guys. Did you, see, did you see them all by the way in the playoffs? You saw Anaheim, you saw Pittsburgh, you saw, I mean, you yeah, saw right. guys All that you had teams. seen in your recent past. Oh yeah. It, and, and it was, you know, seeing Anaheim, those guys, you know, a quick kind of discussion with some of those we saw them on underground as they were leaving, you know, and I hadn't seen, you know, obviously Perry or Getz or, you know, any of those guys and besides just kind of playing against them, but yeah, I mean, it was that team we had. It was, uh, you know, it's hard. You can't really describe it. I mean, it's it's like athlete, you know, playing. You get it. And to try and explain it to the to people that don't understand, you know, what it's like in there. That was just a different team. I mean, we were losing. We were depleted to absolutely, yeah. you know, nothing. And that was losing Fiala, using losing, you know, Johansson. Um, yeah, bringing this un this unknown undrafted French kid who makes NHL history scores three goals his first three goals yeah. in the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, I mean, there was just there. I mean, you really we were just so close. We just had such a unique bond that team. You just you knew they were going to do well, and it was it was 
it was pretty sad. It was unfortunate that we fell short because we truly still had the, the, the a strong belief that we were, we were going to win. And, and it just, uh, it didn't fall that way, but it was, uh, you know, we still keep in touch with those guys today, even up top the, you know, the Batetto and Neil and Vern Fiddler and Subban, um, you know, we're still, we still kind of chatting, texting and stuff a little bit. I mean, it's just, it's a unique, you don't, that doesn't happen often. You don't stay in touch with guys, especially, especially myself, a guy that, you know, would just be usually an extra and things like that to still stay in touch with some of those guys. Even the cloud is you know, caught up with him, you know, a little bit, but um, yeah, you, you don't see it that often. I was going to ask you that and we're, we'll, we'll wrap up in a second, but I was going to ask you, I, I hear so many, I listen to Howard Stern and he talks about a movie set and how you become a family for six months or seven months or whatever. But then when it's done, it's crushing because crushing. odds are you're never going to see most of these people ever again. So do you, have you had kept relationships and you mentioned a handful there, obviously off of that team, but is that's gotta be a hard thing to do. Young guys, you all got families, you're all doing your own thing. Yeah, really hard. And and I remember that hit me to like a ton of bricks because, you know, the chance that it was going to be able to repeat itself for me just individually, you know, was right. I going to be able to be there again for the whole, you know, for another year? And, and it turned out I didn't, you know, even though I did end up signing right back, you know, I didn't even play a game the next yeah. year. Um, so for me, it was it was the first time I had truly been a part of a team, like became an, you know, a, a true part of the, the main group. And whether I played every night or not, I, I was not the up and down anymore. I was able to see it through and, and, and valued that way. Um, you know, the names that I, I met, you know, you still, I can keep, you know, Johansson and Sissons, those guys, you we still chat with like that. Just, it doesn't, it doesn't happen. And it was sad. I mean, that was, because as depleted as we were, it, it would have been easy to be like, oh, we're not, you know, we're not really supposed to win at this point. You know, I mean, I mean, Sizen steps up. He's our fourth line center. He moves into our number one center to take on Crosby in, in the last series. Like that is, that's crazy, incredible. And, and we, there wasn't, we didn't waver at all. I mean, we truly thought we were still, still going to win. And, and we were, we were right there. It was uh, so for that one. Yeah. You knew, you knew it was, you know, I'd been on teams, even HL where you drop off in the playoffs and, it just, you know, it didn't have it. The team wasn't as, as tight, but that was, yeah, that was a special team. We, uh, Charlie, if you have anything else or no? No, no, I think just our we last like question. To, we, yeah, we like to finish these with uh, back to Milwaukee. When you think of your time in Milwaukee, what do you think of? I think the, you know, it's funny. The first name I think of is honestly Harris of, of how great of an owner he was, um, and then from that, what he had built there um, with all the guys, I mean, it was, it, it really became the group of guys for me. And, and I think it, it came, he, he treated that organization, that organization felt like an NHL organization, just as, as how well he ran it. Um, you know, you can go into some organizations where you don't, you don't get that same treatment in the, in the HL and the rink being, you know, the dressing room and all that. So I, I think I, I think of him just really giving the opportunity for the players to to flourish and, and enjoy their time there. Um, and then I think, but to be honest, really just, it is the guys. I mean, that, that was, I, I can't say that. I can't say the same about every, every team I played on, but definitely in Milwaukee, it was the, you know, the friendships, the relationships, Freddie Gaudreau, like, you know, that's still a guy I still, you know, talk to and, and, 
whether it's a group thread on a social media or something, I mean, you, those are still live from that time. And then even my next year with Smith and Butler and, and those guys, I mean, it was, it was a special group there. I, again, I don't really know how to explain it. They've had it up in Nashville and then it was, it was definitely down there. It's, I think of the guys and we had some, we had some great times. We had some good laughs. I, I definitely miss uh, that part of my career. Harry, we, as Charlie said, we've kept you a long time. We appreciate your, your time very much. Uh, great to see you. Glad things are going well. All the best to you and your family. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do this again someday down in the future. Thanks, Simmer. Charlie, thanks, guys. No, I appreciate it. I'm glad, uh, I'm glad I was able to join you guys and, and, uh, and kind of relive this back. We really appreciate it. That's Harry Zollnerchuk. Thanks for listening to this Milwaukee Admirals podcast.